This episode is brought to you by Odyssey Mushroom Elixirs. Are you someone who relies on energy drinks to power through your day? Well, what if I told you that those energy drinks could be doing more harm than good? And that's where Odyssey Mushroom Elixir comes in. Unlike traditional energy drinks that are loaded with sugar and artificial ingredients, Odyssey is packed with natural ingredients, including functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps. These mushrooms have been used for centuries to improve mental clarity, increase focus, and boost energy levels. Not only do these mushrooms provide natural energy, but they also have a host of other health benefits. We've even done multiple episodes on the power of functional mushrooms, and we love that they can help support your immune system, reduce inflammation, and even improve your mood. With Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, there's no need to settle for a drink that's full of chemicals and empty calories. Odyssey's functional energy drink is the perfect way to get the energy you need without sacrificing your health. And it tastes really good. As someone who is no longer drinking alcohol, I also find this to be a fun and functional alternative to bring to parties, have as a post-work drink, and is a great afternoon pick-me-up. So if you're ready to make the switch, visit their website today to learn more and order your first case. Available in a variety of delicious flavors, there's something for everyone. My favorites include the blackberry lemon twist and orange ginger, but they're all wonderful. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, you can use the promo code CWPODCAST at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. So what are you waiting for? Ditch those unhealthy energy drinks and try a functional energy drink today. Visit their website at www.odysseyelixir.com and use promo code CWPODCAST for 20% off. Odyssey is also sold and shipped in the USA, and you can find them at your local retailer. And you can find all of this information in our show notes. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a really, really wonderful episode. I was saying wonderful because we have Monica Parker, who is the author of The Power of Wonder on the show today. And it's it's a really good one. But before we get into it, we are going to share our weekly updates. And we both have some content updates this week. Um, so what are you enjoying this week, Allie? So in addition to kind of reading a bunch of books on um, basically for prep for upcoming guests for the podcast, which is a perk of the job. My fun content is a TV show that I've been watching based on a book that you have read, Erica, called Daisy Jones and the Six. It's a Hello Sunshine production. Love Hello Sunshine and their um, their work. But it's it's really interesting. So it's about this band. It's a fictional band roughly based, I think roughly based on, um, Fleetwood Mac, but fictionalized for sure. And, um, in the seventies and it's really, I I have to say it's fun. It's a little hard because my husband's in the music business and he's like, none of this is real. None of this makes, (laughs) but he's like, he's still like hanging in with me. (laughs) So it's, it's funny because he's like, 
you know, annoyed by certain like anachronisms of like the time period. But I'm like, babe, nobody cares about, you know, like nobody, <laughs> you know, it's fun. It's very, um, yeah, it's very like, it's a period piece, but there's definitely an aspect of like fictionalization and fan, not fantasy in the storyline. Like it's, it's very much a, a realistic story, but, um, you know, there's drama. It's like what you want from sort of a fictionalized rock and roll storyline. Yeah. Um, it's so I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I'm letting it be what it is and I'm enjoying it for that. And guess what? I've watched all of the episodes so far. So like there's something that's working, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I can't wait until you finish it because I'm, I'm way behind. I'm only on episode one and I did enjoy it, but, um, I've been dying. I did. I read the book like a while back and I can't wait to discuss it with somebody who finishes it. And I'm excited to see what changes the TV show makes. And, but it was a really great book. And if anyone is looking for great fiction, the author Taylor Jenkins read so good. I've read Daisy Jones and the six. I read, I think it's the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which follows a 1950s actress. Um, really interesting, but also kind of in the same vein as Daisy Jones. Like it starts with now she's older and mm -hmm. reflecting back on her life. Um, really good. And I'm starting Malibu Rising, which is her latest. And it takes place in the 80s with a musician. So she does these like period PC, yeah, like pop culture -y things. It's just great. Um, yes. yeah, yeah, it's definitely like it's that's the way to describe it. It's like this sort of piece of pop culture fiction. Pop culture. Yeah. Which and is like if you allow yourself to just go into that, it's fun. I love and like my dream, like I was just telling Ali, like I wish I could wear like free people, bohemian pieces all the time and frolic in nature. Like that is like my wish fulfillment. Like talk about wonder. It's like in another life. I just want to be <laughs> that like that type of free spirited bohemian dressed lady. Um, I have the airiness for it, but <laughs> you know, too much earth, but I love it. Um, yeah, it's, I just can't wait till you finish so we can discuss it. And if anybody else is watching it, you know, slide into our DMs, but yeah. no spoilers because Allie hasn't finished yet. No spoilers. So. I'm trying not to spoil it for myself. Maybe I'll read the book after the fact, but yeah, um, Erica, you have really good. I was going to say, yeah. you have some, some books, books. that you've been reading. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was just talking to Allie about it off recording, but, um, I have been reading, we've done episodes. We're going to do more on the sober curious movement and sobriety in general. Um, it's definitely an interest in mine since I took a year off of drinking last year. And since then have really discovered that drinking just isn't for me. Um, and I'm, I'm just not drinking. And so I'm, I'm interested in, it's kind of peaked as we've discussed, like this interest in the marketing of alcohol towards women and, you know, not to yuck anyone's yums, but alcohol is a neurotoxin. And why, why isn't this discussed? So just kind of like really, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a nerd, obviously in my studies and the way I want to get all this knowledge on everything, nutrition and wellness. But I've really wanted to read more about sobriety and alcohol and just kind of learn more for myself in this exploration. And so it's a long way of saying I am almost done reading uh, drinking games, which is a new memoir by a millennial woman named Sarah Levy or Levy. And she's, I think about 33 or 34 years old. And this is her memoir of she stopped drinking at 28. And it's a really beautiful, well-written book. Like mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. I know she's been doing the podcast circuit. Um, I think she was also on the mostly balanced podcast and we were on the mostly balanced okay. podcast. Um, that may have been when I, where I first learned about her, but you can check out our episode over there as well. But it's a really great memoir about drinking and wellness. And she, cause she talks, it's about sobriety, but she basically talks about you could be addicted or obsessed with anything really. And there's like parallels into her, um, addictive behavior with alcohol and she is fully sober and in a 12-step program now, but also with her behavior in the wellness space and mm -hmm. with food and dieting and her body and all this stuff. But it is, um, it's such a great book. It's beautifully well-written and it's really eye-opening, you know, the way she talks about blackout culture and the way millennials drink. And, you know, she had all of these really scary 
incidents happen during her time drinking, including two hospitalizations and, you know, lots of scary things happened to her. And those weren't even her rock bottom moments. Actually, what stopped, what what got her to stop drinking is something, you know, even to her wasn't this big moment in her drinking, but just kind of this, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm kind of ruining my mm-hmm. life. But, but she said a lot of people were shocked and surprised when she stopped drinking because again, like the way I feel like millennials drink is so normalized. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting and it's opened my eyes to a lot. It's made me reflect on my own drinking history. I've, I was never a big drinker before the pandemic, but again, just the way we drink in college or, you know, the way we drink to, I don't know. It's just, it's good. I recommend it. If you're in the sober curious space, if you're interested, if you're sober, I think it's a great book. And when I finish it, I'm going to finally start. I think I'm going to listen to the audiobooks. I'm really into audiobooks. Just mm. side note, if you've never listened to one, they're really enjoyable, especially if you like podcasts, like can't recommend an audiobook enough. But I think I'm going to listen to Quit Like a Woman with Holly yeah. Whitaker. So I'll share more updates on that, but just kind of wanting to get more knowledge on sobriety and sober curiousness. And I know quit like a woman has a lot of statistics and, you know, facts about the marketing towards alcohol and women specifically. And I think Holly is sober curious, not fully sober, whereas Sarah is fully sober, but Sarah brings in so much, so many, so much good information about alcohol. Um, and even, like a, she went to like a moderation management group before she went to AA. And um, basically she's discovered in the research of this book that the person who created moderation management programs um, was arrested for killing someone drunk driving and then had a very tragic ending of their own life. And she didn't know that when she was going to moderation management. So just kind of like interesting facts about alcohol in our culture and I'm really enjoying it. So it's my own kind of exploration and um, we've done episodes. I'll link them in the show notes if anyone is interested in listening to them on, you know, with experts in the field, with my own experience. Um, I know, Ali, you're taking some time off from drinking as well or just drinking less in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel great to be honest. Yeah. So So um, definitely recommend. That's my recommendation. Sorry that was long winded, but I'm really enjoying the book and, you know, we have a great episode today with another author. I and gonna I was going to say, gonna say great book. I think a lot of what we go into in the episode today around wonder also brings in this idea of curiosity. And so I think your your recap of this book too, and your own curiosity in this space is a good sort of example um, and can tie into some of our conversation today. Before we get to it, We just want to remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by Milk and Honey. Um, Milk and Honey is a female-founded, female-funded brand. They have wonderful spas in Texas, around Texas, the Austin area, two in Los Angeles, and one in Chicago. Um, You can use code CWPODCAST for 20% off any of their services. We also have 20% off at their online boutique for their own products, um, hyper clean skincare products. They also carry things like Osea Malibu, uh, Moon Juice, um, Super Goop. It's one of your favorites. Yeah, my favorite. Uh, so again, CW Podcast for 20% off uh, any milk and honey spa or the online boutique. And with that, should we get to the episode? Let's do it. All right. So today we have a really fascinating conversation with Monica Parker, author of the new book, The Power of Wonder, The Extraordinary Emotion That Will Change the Way You Live, Learn, and Lead. Monica is a behavior nerd and founder of Hatch, a world-renowned consultant agency whose corporate clients include Google, Lego, and other Fortune 500 companies. Parker has been an author, speaker, designer, CEO, activist, clown, and an opera singer, but it was her early career as a homicide investigator defending death row inmates that solidified a deeply profound respect for the power of wonder. There, she observed the implications of a life devoid of nature, music, the vastness of the sky, the feel of the wind on your face, and the things that bring one wonder. This learning has been a center point for her work, 
sense. And in The Power of Wonder, she takes readers on a journey through psychology, neuroscience, philosophy, literature, and business to share some of the surprising secrets behind the mechanics of wonder and guides readers in bringing more of it into their lives. Parker's goal is to ignite the wonder-prone part of all of us and maybe offer a moment to reconnect and inspire as only moments of wonder can. We have a really beautiful conversation today with Monica, and she really gives us a lot of tangible tips and tools about wonder and how to bring that wonder into our lives. So we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Before we get to today's episode, we want to tell you a little bit about the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Erica and I are both certified integrative health coaches. I have advanced training in hormone health, and she has advanced training in gut health. And we offer health coaching and corporate coaching through the Courageous Wellness Collective. We continued our education and received certification through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. IIN has taken the lead in the health coaching industry from its inception and provides a comprehensive curriculum that combines nutrition, coaching, and business. We loved the program and have had many listeners ask us about continuing their education in nutrition, health coaching, or even just advancing their personal knowledge about food and nutrition. So we are very excited to be able to offer a discount to Courageous Wellness listeners to study at IIN. The program is completely accessible virtually with lectures led by health, wellness, and medical industry experts. To receive up to $2,500 off your tuition, you can use our names, Ali French or Erica Stein, at the time of enrollment to receive the tuition discount. We have also included a link in the show notes that will take you directly to IIN to learn more about their wonderful programs. Thank you, Monica, for joining us today. Erica and I are looking forward to this conversation with you. Um, Just to get us started, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your personal background and how that has evolved into the space that you're working in and um, I guess the space of wonder? Yeah. Well, um, so I was born and raised in Atlanta. I'm a Southern peach, a Southern belle, um, and studied design and undergrad in the U.S. And then I went over to Belfast in Northern Ireland to study um, organizational behavior. Um, and in between, I took sort of a dog-legged journey. I was um, a homicide investigator for the Department of Justice, and I worked with men and women um, on Florida's death row with the defense teams to try to exonerate them in um, what's known as um, collateral defense, so post-conviction defense. Um, and really, in that work was where I started to become interested in wonder, and I've sort of carried that through as a vein in my work in helping people manage existential change. So, you know, dealing with being on death row or having a family member who's on death row, dealing with um, adults and kids with disabilities and their families and, and managing the sort of the change in their lives. Um, and then working in corporate environments, you know, losing a job is one of the biggest changes a person can experience. So layoffs and redundancies, things like that. And so really that's been how I got interested in helping people manage change. And what I learned is that people who seem to hold their world with a sense of wonder are more resilient, they're more buoyant and just better able to manage what happens. Um, So that's sort of my journey. And now I split time between Atlanta, London and the South of France. Incredible. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's there's so many places we're going to go in this conversation, I'm sure. I would love for you, if you can, to expand on how working with uh, with death row inmates kind of helped you see the connection with the importance of wonder. And can you define wonder for us as well? Because it's, sure. it's not a word that I feel like no. is used as often as it should be. So maybe I'll start with the definition and then I'll talk about sort of a little bit. So <clears throat> wonder is a bit of a shape shifter. You know, it's a, it's a verb to wonder, but it's also a noun. Um, and so my goal in um, in in explaining wonder to people was to sort of link those two concepts. And so what I've done is I call wonder an emotional experience. It is an emotion, but it's also an emotional experience. And I see it almost as a cycle. So it starts with openness to experience, which is um, a personality trait. It's it's a trait that all of us have some to some degree. And then that moves into curiosity, which is to wonder, right? It's the verb. And then that moves us into absorption, which is 
sometimes the purity of a flow state, but it can also just be presence. And then that sets us up for what's known as an expectation violation, where we see something that is so vast that it changes our concept of ourselves. And that is awe. So that's sort of experiencing a wonder. That's the noun. And so that becomes sort of a cyclical process that as we experience each of these, we become more prone for each of them. And I see it as almost like a, a virtuous circle. And I guess the way that I started to explore that with people in death row, I definitely didn't have the language for it. And um, it was one of my first jobs. It's one of the reasons I was not in that role for very long, because I was only 25. I was really too young, if I'm to be honest. Um, but I did give it two years. I was told either you do two years or you do life. Um, and so I, I gave the two years and then um, September 11th happened and sort of everything in the world changed. But um, what I found was that it was really the 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 way that people who were denied all other stimuli, the way that they could focus in on some of the smallest elements that brought them a sense of beauty. It could be just a little bit of nature that they saw, as I talk about in the book, a surreptitious leaf that's brought in, but also the way that they tried to stay curious about everything. They were so hungry for as much stimuli as they could get anything. And they were always full of questions whenever I spent time with them. And I noticed that those people who were more hopeful, who were, who were more curious, were more hopeful, those that could still see the beauty in even this incredibly grim environment seemed to have an ability to get through this difficult time. And so I sort of stuck that away and it started the building blocks of my understanding of wonder. Yes. And just for our listeners, you know, you are now the author of the book that you just referenced, The Power of Wonder, the extraordinary emotion that will change the way you live, learn and lead. And I know that you do a lot of work now in, in the corp in corporate spaces as well. Um, but just as just as you were talking about that, what stands out to me, or I guess when I was first introduced to your book, to this idea of wonder, curiosity was one of the things that I kind of associate with wonder. And actually this year, I've been really thinking a lot about curiosity and the role that it plays in our lives and um, actually what a benefit can be and it can be. And I think I'm, I'm going to give a version of this quote. I think it was Walt Whitman who originally said it, but I'm going to definitely credit Ted Lasso for bringing it back, <laughs> which yeah. is like, be curious, not judgmental or choose curiosity, Correct. not judgment. And I've been thinking about a lot that, uh, that a lot since we, since I recently, you know, in the last year or so watched that episode, um, because it can have a direct kind of counteract, um, to closed, like the judgment is the kind of the closed off version of the curiosity, which is the open, I'm going to seek understanding um, before making judgment. And I think just like even that concept has been really, really life-changing. Even in my own life, I, I see it creeping in. And so how do you, you know, in, in the book you go into this, but how do you approach studying something like wonder? How do you, you know, it, you define the hard sciences and the soft sciences and, and how we sort of analytically approach. It's much harder to do when you're studying emotion or studying human behavior. But how do you approach studying something like this? And then um, what are... What are your observations from having studied wonder? Well, I think the point you make is is really sound, and and I did research that, and it, it was Ted Lasso who said it. Um, <laughs> and I think, it, but it's great, right? It's it's so it's so apropos, and it is absolutely the truth that we know that people who are more curious about one another. Um, who are deeply curious. And I make the um, point in the book that there's sort of two different kinds of curiosity. There's surface curiosity, which is the, you know, Google search to settle a bet kind of curiosity. And then there's the curiosity that is the enjoyment 
of learning for the sake of learning. And if we can have that kind of enjoyment about other people, then that makes us very empathetic because to have that degree of, of interest in someone else is um, it's, it's almost contagious. And actually there's a great um, study that's in the book that I love referencing that says that if we ask questions in the true context of genuine curiosity about another person, they report that they find that person asking the questions both kinder and more attractive. So, I mean, this is great for anybody who's single and looking to just be genuinely curious about a person and they'll think you're more attractive. But I think it's really fascinating because there is a lot of evidence that people who feel more curiosity, who have more awe also are less biased. Um, really what it means is that you're less likely to take your cognitive shortcuts, that you're willing to ask a lot of questions. And in that also, in curiosity, you're willing to sit in the unknowing, right? You're happy to not need the answer right now. You can say, I want to learn more and I learned this and it's brought me onto a journey of wanting to learn even more. And so it's it's being able to sit in the unknowing that I think actually helps us be more empathetic as well. We don't have to understand another person, but we can seek to. And that in, in and of itself is fascinating. I mean, I I loved researching the the looking at the work the scientists had done and I found it fascinating to understand how they would um, compare certain emotions to each other, how they compare happiness to awe and and the like, and and the way that they would test them. I mean, everything from using um, uh, a grove of of eucalyptus trees or a, a a statue of a of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, to to inspire awe. So. I just really enjoyed getting sort of inside their head and hopefully translating that so that it's very approachable for other people. Yeah, I'd love, I definitely want to explore happiness more because that's such a big word, right? That we're all like trying to figure out for ourselves. I was going to say seeking, but I, I firmly believe happiness is an inside job, which I think mm -hmm. goes along with wonder. But I think in our cultures and society, it's like we are looking for happiness inside or outside. It's it's something that's always top of mind, especially because, right, there is a lot of suffering right now. And I'm sure people listening to this are going through tons of transition and change and change is really hard. I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine who has some potential change coming up in the next year. And she's already like, no, 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 no. Right. That kind yeah. of, I can't, I don't want this change to happen. And I think that's, it's a normal Mm. response to change. I think a lot of us have gone through tremendous change. And similarly, it's funny because I'm in my I'm in my early 30s now. I think I can still say that. I'm 34, <laughs> maybe mid 30s. But <laughs> but um, you know, I think what I've really learned the last few years as I've gotten older and also with through through just everything that's gone on is right. I didn't have the word wonder, but the importance of curiosity as you guys are talking about and also flexibility. Mm. Um, and I, I, uh, I noticed you have an antidote too about um, a friend with Alzheimer's who didn't lose their wonder, right? So mm. I think when I talk about change here as, you know, we go into happiness is, right, people are dealing, I'm dealing, right? We're all dealing with, you know, health, serious health stuff, financial stuff, change stuff, right? Like there's a lot of heavy change that we have to experience. War is going yeah. on. Um, you know, again, like the uh, social justice movements that are happening right now, gun violence in America, it's a lot to be living through. So I guess that's just leading into like, how can wonder support our happiness? Like, where is the research there? How, if we're looking for happiness amidst living in the world in 2023, how can wonder help us do that? And, yeah. and I think, you know, as we're talking about, it's like this crucial key component, it seems like. So <clears throat> I say that happiness has a great PR team, right? Everyone wants happiness. And this is part of Madison Avenue convinces us we want happiness. Everyone tells us this is what we want to achieve. And it's sort of, you know, the, the benefit of a life well lived. But the challenge is, is we're just so poor at knowing what makes us happy. It's what's known as effective forecasting. And we're just really not good at knowing what makes us happy. We miswant a lot of things. We think that will make us happy and then it doesn't. 
one of the challenges is that we tend to think that hedonic happiness will will help us, will make us feel better. And certainly, you know, it does for a period of time, but it doesn't give us lasting happiness. So, you know, the new pair of shoes or, um, you know, the, the drink, the cocktail, whatever it is, that thing that will give us a little boost, but really long term, it doesn't give us a, a sense of meaning, which is what drives real true happiness. The other challenge is that happiness is by its nature very positively balanced, right? It's solely positive. Life is not solely positive. So when we're going through change and people like change, they just don't like change that they don't control. So when we're dealing with all of this change that we can't control, like the war, like the pandemic, we can't sometimes be happy as a steady state. It's just not realistic. So to be able to hold two emotions in our mind at the same time that are almost oppositional, that's actually very healthy for us. So things like wonder, which can be both positive and negative. So we can look at, say, the reaction of people um, on the ground, like well, I'm, a, I'm a donor of WC Kitchen. So, you know, World, um, uh, the uh, uh, Jose Andres and his work. I watch what they're doing in um, in uh, Ukraine and I'm moved by it. I can feel a sense of wonder even as I am struck with pain of what's happening there. And so when we hold these two emotions that seem oppositional at the same time, actually helps us be more resilient. It helps us be more buoyant. There was a piece of research that showed that if um, widows and widowers, if they reflected on their spouse, their passed away spouse, remembering both positive and negative attributes, they actually recovered from grief more quickly. And so if we tend to really just focus on the positive, it really blocks us from so many other emotions that are very, that are very helpful to us metabolizing what happens in the world. Other mixed emotions that are really positive are things like nostalgia is a way that we can reflect back with both positive and negative. Susan Cain's book, Bittersweet, she talks about existential longing. That's another sort of mixed emotion that we can have that also leads, that is associated with awe. And so my opinion is that we can have wonder. It is a steady state. We can always be in a state of wonder if we choose to. And I do think it comes from within. And the, the this research shows that generally people who feel wonder more often will experience more happiness. So I think if we focus on wonder as the goal, the end result will usually be happiness. But the reality is, is we can't always be seeking happiness because I don't think we're very good at finding what makes us happy. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare products born from the spa. One of Milk and Honey's best-selling products is the natural deodorant, which is loved by Zoe Kravitz and was featured in her Vogue's Beauty Secrets video. I've been using the baking soda free version exclusively for over two, three years. This gentle aluminum free baking soda free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. It never gave me any itchy red bumps when I switched over and passed the smell test, even after an intense workout. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree and lemon vanilla. In addition to clean deodorant, their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, Supergoop, and more. Some favorite products of mine other than the deodorant include Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser, Supergoop Glow Screen and SPF 40, which I now buy on their site, and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. Their spas are also lovely, and we are both big fans of their spa treatments. And we now offer discounts at both the online boutique and spa locations on all spa and med spa treatments. We are also thrilled to partner with Milk and Honey to offer a courageous wellness spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat at a discounted rate. The Courageous Wellness Retreat combines a 60-minute Milk and Honey Signature Massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. 
Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any Milk and Honey location with code CWPODCAST. Visit milkandhoneyspa.com to find a location near you. And if you want to try the Courageous Wellness Spa package offered at a special rate, use the code Courageous Wellness Retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. You can also find all the information in our show notes. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you know that Allie and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using seed for close to a year now and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am devoted to taking seed every single morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic is vegan and gluten-free and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains, not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. And in addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at seed university. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet. Pretty important, right? Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community as well. If you would like to order seed daily symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use the code courageous 15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Erica and I, originally we met through a Buddhist practice that we both, yeah, that we're a community that we're a part of. And there's this idea of um, that the obstacles is where we like through obstacles, we can kind of do something called what we call our human um, revolution. And this idea that instead of, it's not about like not facing the life obstacles, it's about using those obstacles to find deeper kind of understanding and ultimately happiness. And like you said, this resilience or buoyancy that you tap into that exists within yourself. And then you can kind of face, you know, the continued obstacles of life with that deeper understanding of who you fundamentally are. And so that you can experience quote unquote happiness, even in times of a suffering or use times of suffering to transform deeper kind of happiness in your life. So that the two things have like a very um, symbiotic relationship. Like you need one. Uh, you no can't have one without lotus. the other. Yeah. yeah. No mud, yeah. no lotus, no, no rain, no rainbow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you're talking about this like existential component, that's just something that I keep kind of coming to as you're explaining this, especially how the seed was planted when you were working with death row inmates and where people are facing literal mortality, um, yeah. that they're aware of. And I think sometimes it's so easy to live our lives where we kind of shut that component of ourselves off, uh, go on autopilot, not think that there's like, you know, we all know we're going to die, but there's a ways to kind of ignore that, especially culturally. Um, and especially when we're seeking this idea of happiness, like always outside of ourselves or like, what's the next, you know, dopamine hit or whatever it might be. Um, but when you tap into or when one taps into wonder in the way that you're explaining it, um, I imagine that there's a sense of this existential, like our existential experience, existence. I feel like it probably comes up for people. Mm. Is that is that something like, is that in your studies of wonder, 
have you seen that? Do people become more um, sort of conscious in the way that their day-to-day is not permanent? Yeah. So what, what the research shows is that, so awe being a self-transcendent emotion. Um, so it is, you know, self-transcendent. We tend to think of that as like, you know, somebody sitting cross-legged going home, but really it just means to rise above ourselves. So it's to rise above our ego. And so if we are able to experience awe, it helps us sort of rise above our ego. It also helps us rise above our, our troubles. And so when we feel, when we experience awe, when we experience wonder, we feel like a small component part of a bigger system. And when we feel smaller, our problems feel smaller. And so this is where we start to say, okay, it gives us almost a perspective, almost like our own personal overview effect, right? Where we're looking down at what's happening and we don't feel it with quite the the urgency. But, you know, I think about when people say, oh gosh, you know, you're working with people on death row. But I mean, to be honest, when someone loses a job, that is, that's an ego death. I mean, that's huge for some people. That is, that is one of the most stressful experiences someone can have. And so recognizing that for all of us, there are certain, there are different kinds of almost deaths, right? There's all this process of, of death and rebirth. And I, I think that, that what wonder does is it allows us to have that, that, perspective that that there is more and i think that if there was one message that i want people to get out of the book is that's that there is more there is more untapped unseen um that we just can't understand and i see wonder almost as a mechanism like the 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 knock on the door that allows us to to walk through and to see more and of course there's a whole chapter on psychedelics where there's like a lot more um but the reality is is we can achieve little glimpses of that through meditation, just through moments of of wonder, slowing down and allowing ourselves to see and experience things in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so blown away by everything you've shared. And I know Allie, you and I, I feel like talk a lot about holding conflicting emotions at once, right? Like two things can be true, even if they seem opposite. And so it really, um, I think is impactful the way you share this and talk about this, right? Like you can grieve the loss of your job and be hopeful about what's new, yeah. right? And even as you mentioned with widowers, how that helps you get through the grief quicker. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, wow. Like my mind is so, so blown. And, and what you just said too, about meditation practices, I'm probably um, butchering this and I'm sure you maybe you will know what I'm talking about. But I heard recently, because you just mentioned psychedelics, right? And they can be really powerful really quickly in opening the mind and healing, especially when used um, in a treatment therapeutic way. Exactly. But um, I had just heard that actually like consistent medication can be just as if not more powerful Mm. on the mind than psychedelics. I don't know if Mm. you I mean, maybe we can explore oh. like the power of meditation and opening our There's mind. There's a bit of a debate. Well. So mm-hmm. the the people who who are um who are meditation proponents say that you can achieve um and even surpass what can happen, what you can achieve with psychedelics. And and my research would say that yes, if you are at sort of the yogi level, you are creating you're creating plastic changes in your brain, right? You were, you're increasing the gray matter, you're becoming less reactive. So absolutely, I believe that Olympic level meditators can surpass what happens um, with psychedelics. Now, of course, there may be Olympic level psychedelic users that we haven't interviewed yet. And maybe they also have sort of this, but but the I think the benefit of psychedelics when used in a particular way is for people that don't have the time, right? So if someone is dying from cancer and they are having existential um, depression that is robbing them of their last few years of the joy they can have, this is sort of a speed train to that malleability. But I always, I say, um, and I'll spirit of full disclosure, as someone who has used psychedelics in the past, I will tell you that it, for therapeutic um, use, it's really a, you need that additional component of some therapy because you're creating this tremendous amount of malleability. And what gets stuck in that malleability is, you know, you could it could be good or bad. Um, that's how we end up with cults because the malleability is captured by someone who is not a good person and fills that with negative information. And so um, I think that 
psychedelics can be very powerful in that they can uh, deliver a result very quickly. Um, also for, again, people, you know, drug, drug um, addiction, a lot of times they can't, they don't have the ability to, to stick with something like meditation for long periods of time to get that benefit. But I think that from, for the general user, um, I'm not suggesting everybody go out and, and trip on acid. I think meditation is a much more realistic and achievable sort of goal for people to have. And I think that what I know is that the, one of the key elements is it quiets the rumination, it mm -hmm. quiets the chattering mind. And that is one of the key things that separates us from wonder is if we let our mind just go and go and go, we will we will lean on our heuristics, we'll lean on our shortcuts, and we will not recognize wonder when it's in front of us. And it's one of the things that I say that wonder is more than just a moment, it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. And so the meditation absolutely helps you create that mindset for wonder. Yeah. Makes sense. I think also this is a good maybe moment to segue into, you know, talking about these tools like meditation yeah. or psychedelics, you know, in whatever therapeutic doses, <laughs> please do it <laughs> responsibly. But um, if someone is listening to this and wants to cultivate, wants to start cultivating more wonder in their life, how would you recommend beginning to do that? Absolutely. So we've talked about it. I would start with a slow thought um, practice. So that includes meditation, gratitude practice, um, narrative journaling, um, nostalgia, again, a nostalgia practice, re re recollecting and then journaling about that. So anything that helps us slow down to notice the little details in our our life. Um, novelty is another way that we become more aware of wonder. Our brains notice changes and we become, we go into autopilot very easily. You know, our brains have these ruts and they like efficient, it likes efficiency. So it puts us into these tracks very quickly. Um, if we expose ourselves to new ideas, new thinking, new routes to work, I mean, whatever it is, I mean, even just wearing your watch on a different wrist can sort of, can create a degree of, of neuroplasticity. So Anything that is novel helps us sort of jolt us out of our, our usual um, way of living. Uh, that can be very helpful as well. And I think that um, any way that we can practice um, openness, even though openness is, when I talk about openness, I, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about the gregarious outgoing openness that like an extrovert would have. That's not what I mean. I mean, openness and what they find is it's not just experience it's openness to ideas so being willing to put ourselves in situations where we might feel a little uncomfortable having conversations with people that are fundamentally different from ourselves and feeling genuinely curious about their opinion so the more that we can practice that openness even if our openness to experience in our personality is on the lower end just practicing that helps get us closer to wonder. And so I think those are just sort of a couple of the tools absent, um, you know, uh, psychedelics that I think are, are really much more practical. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think I'm, we're all about like accessible tools that people can implement into their, their daily lives as well. And I'm so fascinated with the world of psychedelics in a therapeutic setting. Um, and it's not something I can do every day or will do every day. Right. So it's like, I know people are microdosing and all of that. And I'm sure that's like a different conversation, but, um, but yeah, like having, I have even myself, you know, my, um, I've shared this on the podcast, but my father-in-law was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease a few years ago. And it's just been, it's been a rough couple years and it was really taking a toll on I guess my sense of wonder and, you know, all of that, but, but recently it's so interesting that you're saying this because really prioritizing myself, my spiritual practice journaling, as you mentioned, um, my own curiosity, like the dark cloud, right? Like it's Ali and I just said this this morning, it's like the sun is shining and there's a dark cloud there, but the sun is still shining as opposed yeah. to before where it felt like it was just all storm clouds yeah, for storm. a pretty long time. <laughs> But um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that's why your book is so important in this concept, right, of that I think a lot of us may have thought but haven't really had the language to express it. Um, yeah, wonder is just so crucial. And so 
is there, you know, like you said, like you, you've mentioned a little bit about like your mission or your hope for this book, but what, what are some maybe big takeaways or surprises that we haven't talked about that you were able to really discover through your research of wonder as well? So one of the things that was the biggest aha for me, especially in this world of polarization, um, which I think is, is really very, it is, it will be to our detriment, um, was the idea of need for cognitive closure and need for cognition. So these are two in-between qualities. They're not part of our, they are, they will be driven by our personality, but they're not personality traits, which means they're actually quite changeable, which is a good thing. So need for cognition is our desire to, to enjoy intellectual pursuit. So it's like, I want to learn this for the sake of learning it. It's, it's aligned with curiosity. It's aligned with openness, but not the same thing. And the need for cognitive, cognitive closures, our desire to find an answer and then close the, to, to close down that, that thinking. Um, they are not on one continuum, but it tends to be people who are high in need for cognition or low in need for cognitive closure and the reversed, right? So people who don't want to sit in a state of knowing don't want to pursue more knowledge. They're happy to say, I have the single right answer. Well, the problem with the single right answer is then you we seek things that seem very clear. And, you know, one of the things that's really clear is an autocrat, Right. Somebody who's that it's clear it's they're going to take all your rights away, but it's awfully clear. And so this is that that level of clarity that people are seeking. If someone is very high in their need for cognitive closure and someone who's quite low are trying to have this conversation, they're never really going to understand why one person is one way and one person is the other way. So I think starting to to use that language and to recognize that if we can help people start to change, to reduce their need for cognitive closure, to help them be more flexible. One of the challenges is, of course, the school system likes to test for the single right answer. It does not encourage nuance. Um, and so we're raising kids, I think, that really have more of a need for cognitive closure. That's not, in my opinion, very positive. So I think helping kids understand that there is more than one answer, that two things can be um, opposite at the same time, you know, two things can be the same and they can be seemingly be opposed. And I, I think for me that, uh, that knowledge of need for cognitive closure and need for cognition was really like a, a big aha for me. And now I understand the, the, the danger of, of whole societies that, that feed into that need for cognitive closure. And of course the heads of all the tech moguls know, all the social network know, they know that we will click more if something is controversial. They know the the whole dopamine, um, endorphin, you know, uh, or opiate cycle that we get, and they are feeding off of it. And so, absolutely, our you know our social networks don't help that. Um, and then we create echo chambers that bring us even more need for cognitive closure. And so, um, there's a lot that's against us. And my hope is that just giving the language to people, maybe they'll start to explore it inside themselves and perhaps open up a little bit. more more, um, to not being so rigid. Yeah. Wow. That seems incredibly relevant. In like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Later, you know, especially, you know, our political climate in the last, however many years, yeah. quite a few now. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting, this idea of, um, people being less and less open to even changing their minds. Mm. And uh, yes, that absolutely exists politically with the polarity we have. Um, and I find it, you know, it's, it's interesting. It, it kind of seeps into all different aspects of our culture. Mm. And Erica and I have had conversations even within the context of people who work within the wellness space. There's so much know this, know this, know this, that doesn't take into account people's bio-individuality. It doesn't take into account accessibility. It doesn't take into account so many things. The list goes on. And so to just have these sort of blanket dogmatic, I guess your point of like cults forming or autocracy, yeah. it's all versions of the same thing, whether it's on the micro or the macro, where it's like our minds are not open <laughs> to yeah. change or we're seeking that deep um, kind of an that quick answer and that, mm -hmm. and we're committed, we're committed. We commit to that. Okay. Now we have the answer right now. And that's going to be the answer where it's like, 
but things evolve, people evolve, things change, information changes and uh, research changes and human bodies change and whatever it might be. And so this idea of how wonder or understanding or developing language around it, um, which is even new for the two of us as we got exposed through your book and are, are, you know, reading through that. It's like, okay, this is, this is bigger. This is bigger than just how it affects maybe my happiness or how I move through the world, but how we create culture. Yeah. How we create that knock-on effect. And I think you make a really excellent point. One of the other things that really surprised me were the number of times that the researchers found that not only did aspects of wonder change how we reacted, but it changed our own self-concept that was then observed by others. So it truly had a knock-on effect. So I use the example of being seen as more attractive if we're generally curious. Another one was um, that when people experience um, wonder, they become more humble, but not only are they more humble, their friends find them more humble. Mm. So it becomes something that we actually, our whole self-concept changes and then other people interpret that change. And so I think that that shows that there's a true knock-on effect that we can have when we start to live our life and wonder that other people will sense that and that that will drive change in them as well. And I think having the language Um, You know, the bonus chapter that came with the pre-orders talks about relationships. And I think almost the language of wonder can almost be like a a love language that we can talk about, you know, what's your wonder bringer? And that becomes a a way to talk about things that are really deeply meaningful um, without it sounding like, oh, well, it's just a hobby. No, it's like it's something that really means something to me. And I do believe that, yes, whether whatever spectrum, left, right, wellness or religion There are people who want it to be, you know, it's easy, it's comfortable. For those that want that, it's very reassuring to have that firm answer. Um, But I I believe that the world is nuanced. The world is gray, shades of gray and light and dark. And that we, it is to our benefit to to observe that and embrace it. Yeah, I, while you were speaking, it made me think of um, social media actually and being triggered. And I'd love to know your thoughts because I, I heard once that I think it's like 90% of people, most people follow have the same views that they do, right? That's what we seek out. That's who we follow. Um, and even myself, you know, of course, if I've had many difficult conversations with, um, individuals in my real life who have differing political views than me, and we, can have conversation and talk about things. But when it comes to social media, I have also found myself, if I see someone posting something that I really don't agree with, and I don't know them, right? Maybe they're an influencer or a leader in a certain field, and they post something totally crazy to me, I unfollow them because I just not always. It has to be pretty, right? Like I'm talking about like extreme posting of extremist views that are totally against my values. I don't, right. Cause, and again, like our likes, our follows, um, essentially money in their pocket, right. Cause that's how people are monetizing a lot of businesses these days. So I guess that leads to my question of, right. We want to be these open people, right. Who can explore curiosity. And like I said, I've, I've gotten a lot better at this. I don't always unfollow now. Again, it has to be pretty extreme for me to hit that <laughs> unfollow button. At one point, though, right at the height of the pandemic, it was like, no, 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 no. like self-care and self-care, way. right? Yeah. That's so. That's what I was gonna say. Like, especially when we talk about the world of the internet, and I truly don't think, like, you know, these keyboard warriors, like, we're not gonna solve anything in a comment. Like, we're not gonna change anyone's mind on Instagram. You know, I, I don't think so. So, um. I guess it's like, what's that balance then with the the social media culture of like protecting your mental health and also being open? Because if most of the people in our life, like, you know, I live in greater, like I live in Los Angeles, I'm in a spiritual community, not about 90% of people in my real life have the same beliefs that I do in most things. So it's like the internet that I see could also be a way to open my mind to other things. I guess kind of what is your thought process on that 
with social media, with the internet, with being triggered, but also keeping our sense of openness as well. So I think social media is the antithesis of dialogue. Um, but I do try to make a point of following people that have different views than myself. I will not follow extremists, but I certainly follow people that have different views. Um, I try to follow them, um, those that have different views, but that are able to express them in a way that does not is not hurtful or offensive to other people. And um, and sometimes I'll just, you know, roll my eyes, but I it's helpful for me to understand the language that other people are using so that I can start to understand how they think. But in general, I think that social media is great for helping us build awareness, but I think it is dangerous in that it creates these um, these echo chambers and it is absolutely not helpful for dialogue. What I would love to see more of is genuine dialogue between people who have different opinions and finding ways to have those discussions that are um, that are meaningful and, and not, again, trying to seek to change someone's mind, um, but really to, to enter into to our, our conversations with a sense of wonder to say, I want, you know, you are you are made of stardust. I am made of stardust. Mm -hmm. I want to understand, you know, I have a deep sense of wonder about who you are as a human being. And I think if we can meet people that way, that it'll make for a to more tolerant society. I genuinely believe that. I believe that. And, and there's evidence of that, that people who are higher in the, in the, um, the, the components of wonder are more tolerant people. Yeah. So I think that if we can practice wonder, we will become more tolerant. We will, we will seek that dialogue. But I think in general, probably the social networks are not great dialogue starters. <laughs> um, but yeah. I would encourage people to, yeah, definitely self-care, get rid of the extremists, but to try to follow some people that are different um, so that you can understand the things that keep them up at night and that make them concerned. And then you can start to embody that potentially. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice. I saw something and I think this, I mean, it, it's so sad that it doesn't exist as much anymore, you know, in, in the political space, especially, but I saw a TikTok of, I guess, like a conversation with McCain during the Obama years. And it was like, it went viral on TikTok or it was on my For You page. And this, um, this woman was saying some pretty just awful personal attacks yeah, against Obama, yeah. you know, the clip yeah. and he stops her. Right. And he's like, I don't agree with Obama. Like we have different viewpoints, but, but what you're saying. Friend. Yeah. But he's a good man. And what you're saying is just not true. Like he is a good man and a good father and a good leader. We just have differing opinions. Mm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> I want to get back to that. Like that's the, that right. But I think and what you're talking about is young, how we get there. Yeah. When I was young, politics were like that. I mean, I remember, Remember that everybody in Washington, it didn't matter what side of the aisle you were on, they would go out, you know, their kids all went to the same school, they would go out to dinner, and they would try to find um, uh, ways that they could connect. But the re and some people say, Oh, well, they're all dirty. Well, you know, Washington is dirty, there's no question. But I think the challenge is, is that, that now we are in such a, uh, a soundbite world, we want those quick soundbites. And, and we our brains are are being fed these little bits and we really do we we react to them and every time we react to them as you say it it sort of feeds the beast and so i think that we're in a position now where the chasm is getting greater i don't know what the solution is long term but i do believe that if we could could meet each other with more genuine curiosity that we would get closer than we've been yeah, that makes absolute sense. And just kind of one of the things that I thought about in in light of the media, social media um, kind of point is that something we've noticed too that like people who have very strong presence online are very very branded, and mm. sometimes taking more kind of dogmatic approaches to whatever their field might be in creating their brand is very effective. But it's funny because you meet them in real life and they're like super laid back, super cool, like kind of saying things are like, yeah, you could do it this way, but this is too, like I found, especially like in the health and wellness space, so many people who are like, you know, this, this, this in their brand, you meet them in person or at events or whatever. And they're, they're just way, 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 way more, um, go with the flow, way less dogmatic in their messaging. So it's interesting because we also have to always keep in mind with social media that some everybody's 
selling something. There's a brand. It's a business now. Selling something and the algorithm wants you to be enraged. The algorithm drives you to be enraged. They want, they know that you will click if it's controversial. You will stay on the topic longer if it's controversial. So they feed you controversy. And then you start to think everything's so controversial when actually you could just get in a room with someone. You go, actually, they're reasonable. Yeah. Like they're disagree on these points, but you're never going to agree with everyone. But that. They, that is not, the algorithm does not want you to see that. The right. algorithm does not drive nuance. It drives right. extremes. Yeah. Yeah. So good, good kind of point to remember. Well, just thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today and your work in wonder. And um, as we begin to wrap up, we ask our guests three wrap up questions. Uh, and I'm curious the answer for the first one for you. So what does your daily self-care look like? And um, do you have any non-negotiables for yourself? So I I will admit, and I say this in the book, I'm not like a Jedi master of wonder. I'm still on this journey. I'm not great about self-care because I am very type A. I work really, really hard um, and sometimes don't take time for myself. But I will say that the thing that for me is non-negotiable is sleep. Um, I am an, I'm an insomniac. And if I can get sleep, then that is that's sacrosanct to me. And so I really try to honor sleep above all else. Um, and then sort of just occasionally I like a little bit of uh, reality TV, you know, <laughs> so that's just that's my that's my little bit of fun. Um, but for me, I love it. genuinely sleep is like really that that without that, then nothing else matters. Nothing else will will stick, at least not in my brain. And so for me, sleep is is just very, very important. And all of the ritual leading into sleep um, that helps me be able to do that. That for me is self-care. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, sleep is coming up more, too, when we ask this question, actually. Um, so the next question we always ask is, what does being courageous mean to you? So to me, being courageous, um, I actually think being open and being hopeful takes a lot of courage. I think in a world that where it feels like everything is falling apart, to have a sense of hope um, is quite courageous. And I think that when we're generally genuinely open to the world, it means we're in good and bad in. You can't say, well, no, bad don't come. I only want the good. We're open to everything. And I think when we're genuinely open and hopeful, um, that, that takes some courage because it recognizes that there's going to be some junk that gets brought in with the good stuff and that we will have to deal with that when it happens. So yeah, I think hopefulness and openness is is the ultimate courage. Yeah, thank you. And then the final question is, in addition to your own book, of course, uh, has there been a book that's just meant something to you along your journey and that you would recommend to our listeners? Sure. So when I was very young, I read The Tao of Pooh, and it was sort of the first introduction to philosophy for me. And I just really loved it. I've always loved Pooh. Um, And I think that uh, I found it, the, the fact that you can take something that feels so heady and then make it so simple. And I think that that's sort of what I I hope that I do a little bit with um with the the book as well is that we can take these really big ideas but we can distill them down in a way that they don't need to exclude anyone that everyone is welcome to to be a part of these big ideas. Yeah, thank you so much. And if anybody wants to find you, follow you, um order your book, where can they yeah. do that? So Monica dash parker.com and on there is all sorts of resources you can learn how to take a wonder walk and that's another way that we can bring wonder into our life um you can pre-order there also stuff about wonder at work and you can find all my social links as well so monica dash parker.com thank you again monica it's been a pleasure thank you guys so much thanks for tuning in to another episode of courageous wellness tune in every wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica and we're Courageous Wellness.